What's past is prologue is a phrase found in Acts 2, scene 1 of William Shakespeare's play, The Tempest. Characters in the play use the phrase to suggest that history sets the context for both the present and the future. Visit the National Archives building in Washington, D.C., and you will find the same phrase engraved in stone on the base of a statue called Future. The past as prologue to Israel's future might have been on Ezra's mind as he compiled the chronicles for the Jewish remnant who were returning to Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. It was time for God's people to rebuild their lives by returning to Jerusalem and prioritizing the worship of Yahweh. How is your past a prologue to your future? I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. you want to see revival in America, then come with Dr. Ron Jones right now as he shares today's Something Good radio message from the book of Second Chronicles. Hi, I'm Brian Davis, and wherever you are and however you might be listening, thanks for making us part of your day. Well, coming your way next, Ron takes us to a time in Israel's history when it was a divided kingdom and when most of the kings and the inhabitants of those two kingdoms were living in rebellion against God. Stay with us or visit somethinggoodradio.org to hear any of Ron's messages on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. You can also subscribe to the podcast at Spotify or at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. From his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Here's Ron with part two of his Something Good radio message, Second Chronicles, If My People. Again, three cheers for Jehoshaphat. All right. He didn't tolerate this stuff. He said, no, we, we need to worship Yahweh. We are the chosen people of God. And he cleansed the land of these pagan worship sites, enacting many good spiritual reforms in the southern kingdom. However, the people didn't go along with it. And it says later that the people returned to the high places, quite frankly, because their hearts had not been changed. You know, you, you, you can destroy the buildings and, and uh, clean up the high places, but, well, it's a reminder that external religion is not enough to transform a human heart. Jehoshaphat also, and this is one of the asterisks that you put by his name, he also uh, wasn't very wise in the alliances that he formed. Early on, he formed an alliance with wicked King Ahab. Remember Ahab and Jezebel? Why would anybody align with them? But Jehoshaphat did that. And then at the end of his 25-year reign, Jehoshaphat also allied with the wicked king of Israel, Ahaziah, I think it's pronounced. And he got together with him to build some ships that would sail to Tarshish. We're not told exactly why, but it didn't please the Lord, that alliance either. And the Bible, and this it just puts a smile on my face, the Bible just says uh, the Lord destroyed the ships before they ever sailed. <laughs> I wonder how that happened. You know, I, I, I think sometimes of parents who see their kids grow up and they start dating this person or that person, and it's, and it's, not, it's not an alliance that is based upon a mutual love for God and for Jesus. What do you do as a parent? You just pray and uh, let the Lord destroy the ships before they ever sail, all right? Uh, he, he does this in Je Jehoshaphat's life. 
Joash became king at age seven and reigned 40 years in Judah. He repaired the temple, restored the worship of God. Uh, again, three, three cheers for Joash. But um, the money wasn't coming in as uh, quickly as was needed to repair the temple. And so uh, Joash built a chest and he set it outside the Lord's house and he made a proclamation to the people. You know, when you come to the Lord's house, bring your offering as well. And the, the chest of Joash, as it is called, filled up time and time again and they emptied it out and then it filled up again and they emptied it out and they filled it up again. And this is how they paid for the, uh, uh, the repairs in the temple. Uh, as long as Jehoiada was high priest, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But the Bible tells us that Jehoiada, the high priest, died at the age of 130, and when he died, uh, uh, Joash quickly abandoned the house of the Lord and returned to idolatry. It's one of those head scratchers. I'm like, I don't quite understand this. The only thing I can conclude is that uh, Joash had a relationship with the high priest, but he didn't have a relationship with God. And there's a big difference between the two. Made me think of how many times I've, I've seen this happen in my own ministry and pastor colleagues who have reflected the same, that when they leave a church or come to a church, uh, there's the shuffling of the sheep. These people are, are leaving because you left or uh, other people are leaving because you came. When you ask them, why are you leaving? Well, you know, we just, we had a relationship with our pastor. We really liked him and he's gone now. So, was your relationship with the pastor or with God? In Joash's case, as soon as Jehoiada, the high priest, dies, he stops serving Yahweh. He stops doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord, and he goes back to the idolatrous ways of the people. What's up with that, Joash? I don't know. Make your own conclusions. Got to move on. Uzziah and Hezekiah. If we had time, we could dive into the lives and reigns of these two good kings uh, Hezekiah, for example, chapter 31 tells us, did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God, and every work that he undertook, he did with all his heart, and he prospered. Again, way to go, Hezekiah. There's a lot that we could dive into, but this is an overview of the book, and we don't have time to go there. One last king, uh, this is Josiah. He was the best of the good kings. He assumed the throne at the age of eight, and he reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. Now, when Josiah was a teenager, and probably coming of age to actually begin to have control from the throne, one of his servants was, was cleaning up the temple. Every church I've ever served has some closets that, oh boy, they need to be cleaned up, some rooms. Well, the temple was just in disarray. And this servant was over there cleaning up the temple, and he found a copy of the law of God. <sighs> Blows off the dust. He, he's amazed by what he finds. He runs back to the king, to the throne, and he says to young Josiah, look at what I found. And Josiah says, read it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The reading of the law of God aloud in the presence of the king. And King Josiah's heart was so convicted by the fact that the nation had drifted so far away from their divine purpose as the chosen people of God, it just gripped his heart at that time. Don't ever underestimate the power of the public reading of God's word. It gripped 
young Josiah's heart. And he, he enacted stunning reformations, spiritual reformations during his reign. However, and here comes the asterisk, none of them lasted beyond his own generation. The next three or four generations of kings that came, and here again, we're in the southern kingdom in Judah, the Davidic dynasty, they're all descendants of David. The last three or four were all wicked kings following Josiah, and that's when the Lord said, enough is enough, and he sent the Babylonians, 586 B.C., and they're taken into captivity. Second Chronicles covers about four and a half centuries of Old Testament history. The past is prologue, remember that. Don't let anybody cancel your history to understand your present, the way into the future. You gotta connect to your past, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. But Ezra ends with the Babylonian captivity. But he does something that uh, King Samuel and kings doesn't do. He adds the reason why, the specific reason why Judah was held captive by her enemies for 70 years. Seems like a round number, doesn't it? Why is that? Go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 36 and verses 20 and 21. Turn there in your Bible. It says of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, king of the Babylonians who were the superpower on the earth at that time, the Babylonian Empire, that he, Nebuchadnezzar, took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. All right? Ultimately, the Medo-Persian Empire overtook the Babylonians. Okay, so, so Ezra is advancing the history here until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of the major prophets. Uh, we're we're going to take this four and a half centuries of history and drop in the major and minor prophets and hear their messages to the northern and southern kingdom during this time. But there was something that Jeremiah said during that time, and this was to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, here it is, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. What's that all about? Well, if you go back into the Mosaic Law and look at the Sabbath laws, you know, one of the commandments says, keep the Sabbath day. Make it holy. The Lord worked for six days, rested on the seventh. But the, the expanded Sabbath laws also included giving the land rest every seven years. Now imagine if you were in an agricultural economy and your livelihood and your health and the ability to feed your family was dependent upon planting and harvesting. It would take a lot of faith to come to that seventh year and say, we're not going to do anything this year. We're not going to plant. We're not going to harvest. There'll be nothing coming in this year. We're going to trust God. Well, over these four and a half centuries, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, all, they just totally ignored the Sabbath laws concerning the land. And eventually, God said, enough is enough. Why 70 years in captivity? Well, do the math. 490 years it was that they disobeyed the Sabbath laws divided by seven is 70. 
Still ahead, the second half of today's Something Good Radio message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And if you've never visited our website, I encourage you to do so today. We have a great streaming platform for the media ministry of Something Good. You'll also find our digital library. This is where you can search for biblical answers to some of your most challenging questions. Watch, listen, and download for free. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Now let's get you back to the rest of today's message, Second Chronicles, If My People. Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones. And so God sent his, his children into timeout for an appropriate period of time, 70 years, not a day later, not a day sooner would they come out of timeout to reclaim every Sabbath year that, that they had disobeyed him. Boy, was that a long time to learn the lesson, wasn't it? But after 70 years, they came out of captivity. And Ezra ends Second Chronicles uh, with hope. I, I love this, because this can be a dark time in Israel's history where even in the southern kingdom, you come all the way down to this, and you know, the Davidic dynasty is, is gone. Not the, not the messianic line, but the dynasty's gone. The next time a king will sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem, you know what his name will be? Jesus at his second coming. That's an exciting time to look forward to. But uh, Ezra ends with hope from an unlikely source. Remember I mentioned Cyrus, king of Persia, at the beginning? I said, said mark down chapter 36, verses um, 22 and 23. And it says that to um, fulfill a prophecy made by the prophet Jeremiah, get this, the Lord stirred the heart of Cyrus, a pagan king of the the pagan uh, Medo-Persian empire. I mean, this this was no uh, friend of Yahweh and the God of Israel. But God stirred the heart of Cyrus to rebuild the Lord's temple. And in verse 23, Cyrus proclaimed, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Medo-Persian Empire was now the new superpower of the earth. They had overtaken the Babylonians. And he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. What a proclamation. This is the last person that the Jews would have ever thought would have said, go back to Jerusalem and build your temple. Coming from Cyrus, the king of Persia? Come on now. It's just a reminder that God can and will use anybody to advance his purposes. During the presidency of Donald Trump, some people compared him to King Cyrus. Trump was not known for his faith in God, but he spoke robustly in favor of religious freedom, did he not? And strongly upheld the Judeo-Christian values upon which our nation was founded. And for that reason alone, I'm glad that he was our president. But how quickly things change. I hear we are as a nation that uh, on Independence Day and national days of prayer, we pray, if my people were called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. We beg God to heal our land. We beg him for leaders 
who will uphold these principles of religious liberty and the Judeo-Christian principles upon which our, our, our country is founded. And sometimes he uses a very unlikely source. Just, just be prepared for that. God surprises us that time uh, in many ways. And if America returns to God, uh, Bible history gives us every reason to believe, based upon the character of God, not a covenant relationship that now where America has replaced Israel or anything like that, but based upon the character of God, we have every reason to believe from Bible history that God will bless his people and bless his nation. And so I just say, um, may revival in the church and a spiritual awakening from sea to shining sea start with you and start with me. Let's pray in the spirit of 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14. God, if we humble ourselves, if we pray, if we seek your face, if we turn from our wicked ways, if we practice repentance, that's a big if, isn't it? If. If it starts with you, how are we gonna do? If it starts with me, how are we gonna do? If it starts with our church, how are we gonna do? Let's not point our fingers this way or that way. Let's just look in the mirror and say, Lord, if I humble myself and pray and seek your face and turn from my wicked ways, will you heal my life, my family, my church family? And if enough of us do this around here, we heal our land. And give us leaders that uphold godly principles, or at least leaders that will allow for the propagation of the gospel as freely as you intended it to be disseminated in this world. And may it start with each one of us. There's always hope. There's always hope for Israel. And God isn't done with Israel. We're very close historically up to uh, about 400 BC at the end of Chronicles. We, we need to talk about Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther. But after this, there are no more kings and there, there are 400 years of silence without a prophet of God. And then comes Bethlehem. <laughs> the promise of Messiah. And all through this history, the providential hand of God is preserving and protecting that line that started in Genesis 3 came through the covenant made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then David, and all the descendants of David until the dynasty crumbles, but the promises don't. And God still preserves that thin red line that goes all the way to Bethlehem and all the way to the cross where Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again on the third day. And we remember his death as we come to the Lord's table, but we remember his death until he comes, the Bible says. Because uh, he's coming again, and when he comes, he will defeat his enemies and sit on David's throne and rule the world for a thousand years before there is no more need for a temple. New heaven, new earth, new holy city of Jerusalem, and the Almighty God and the Lamb of God is the temple. And God dwells again with his people. Isn't it a fabulous story when you piece it all together? And uh, it just makes me stand in amazement of this book we call the Bible. It truly is the Word of God.
Thanks for stopping by for today's Something Good radio message. And Dr. Ron Jones joins me now. Ron, you talked about the idea of how the nation of Israel had a clear path to national healing right there in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. And you also touched on the idea of our own nation's ability to find healing. Could you explore that idea a little further as we wrap things up here on Something Good radio? Sure thing, Brian. First, let me reiterate that 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14 applies specifically to Israel. God's covenant with Israel is unlike anything he forged with any other nation, including America. However, God would very likely honor the same promise to any other nation, not according to a covenant like he made with Israel, but according to his character. So now let me make two further points. Notice that God says, if my people called by my name. Now, for Israel, that included every Israelite there, again, based on the covenant. But for us here in America, it refers to believers in Christ who, according to the new covenant, have been grafted into the nation of Israel by God's grace through faith in Christ. America is not Israel. Make no mistake about that. But individual Americans who are saved by grace through faith, well, we are Israel. (laughs) Okay, moving on from there. Uh, Notice God is not asking the president or the Senate or the House of Representatives or governors or mayors or the wealthy decision makers behind the scenes to do this. Not necessarily, he's not. If they're not called by his name, if they're not believers in Christ, God is not talking to them from 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14. If they are believers in Christ, great. But if not, it doesn't matter. Our leaders don't have to do this. We do. And Brian, by we, I mean the church. It is our job as the church in America to humble ourselves, to pray, to seek the face of God, to turn from our wicked ways. Then he will hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and heal our land. Brian, we cannot rely on unbelievers, even those in positions of power, to do the job of the church. It is up to us. If we want to see revival and healing here in America, uh, the church does not need to look out our collective windows at the darkness that pervades this nation. No, instead, uh, we need to look in our collective mirrors and repent from our own sin. That's the key to national revival here in America. And I believe it can happen. The question is, will it? That's Dr. Ron Jones and some great final thoughts on the key to national revival here in America. Now, today's message is part of Ron's teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. And as you may have heard, Ron has written two books by the same title, a pair of beautifully designed volumes that cover both the Old and New Testaments and all eight road trips that he'll be taking you on right here on Something Good Radio. And when you give your gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good, Ron will gladly send you both volumes as our way of saying thanks. That's volumes one and two of Ron's book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous gift to support the ministry of Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099. Or you can mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. Now, Ron, tomorrow you move ahead in your series, Route 66, the ultimate road trip through the Bible. So tell us a little about that message as we wrap up today's Something Good Radio broadcast. 
Brian, we now turn to the book of Ezra, written to the remnant of Jews who returned to Israel after the 70-year Babylonian captivity. Now think about this, Brian. When God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt, he sent Moses, in effect, to break them out of prison. Two million of them. Now this time around, every Israelite is in Babylon. And every Israelite in Babylon is given a pardon and told they can leave if they so choose. A completely different set of circumstances. And do you know what happened, Brian? Only 50,000 Israelites took the king of Babylon up on his offer. The rest chose to stay. The rest had grown comfortable where they were. So that's the setting of the book of Ezra, and that's where we're headed next time, right here on Something Good Radio. Join us then for Something Good when Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, Ezra, Return from Exile. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.